Hello everybody and welcome to Kane and Rinse Sound of Play 40. So that sounded to me like some kind of magnificent Middle Eastern rave up. But amusingly, it's actually a track called Magikarp Festival from the recent Pokken tournament, the Pokemon fighting game by uh, Bandai Namco for the Wii U. And uh, that was requested by Glenn Watts, regular friend of the show, contributor to the forum, guest. And um, the thing about Pokken tournament for me is that I really don't have room in my life for another fighting game. I've already got a huge stack of fighting games. I like them all. I'm really mediocre at every single one because you have to really focus and play them regularly and, and so on and so forth. And I don't I don't get that time. Not many people would, I would have thought, but especially not with the Kane and Rinse podcast schedule being what it is. Um, but what I did think about Pokken tournament was how cool it would be if they used the engine to make another uh, Pokemon Stadium. Um, uh, you remember those from the N64 days where you could link up, You, you it came with a sort of special adapter and you could put your Pokemon cartridges in and then you could see the Pokemon from the game being brought to life, you know, big full colour animations of their fights instead of the, the very simple, you know, very few frames of animation uh, that represent their scrapping in the uh, on the Game Boy cartridges. Now, I think it's fair to say that in recent times, the 3DS Pokemon games, um, the Alpha, Sapphire, Amiga, Ruby, is that right? Uh, games and uh, uh, and XY as well um, have kind of you know gone some way to making up the gap between those sort of representations of Pokemon fighting, but I still think there's some way to go. And looking at the the visuals of Pokken Tournament, um, the idea of, say, being able to plug uh, somehow, or wireless transfer these days, I'm sure, uh, your your uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon 
um, and uh, put those into your Pokken tournament style graphics on either the Wii U or the new Nintendo console. Uh, that has a certain amount of appeal to me, even as a, a middle-aged man. Anyway, here we are back again with Sound of Play, and as you know, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. My name is uh, Leon Cox, and I am monologuing, solo hosting this All Request special. Uh, last time I did one of these, I did it with Jay, but uh, he was so appalled by himself that he completely edited himself out. So, uh, uh, And I think there were some audio technical issues as well. So uh, just me this time. I hope you don't mind. You can always skip forward to the uh, to the next track if you don't like to hear me whiffling, waffling on. Uh, but this sound of play comes with a special announcement uh, for the last four... 39 podcasts of Sound of Play, uh, which have grown and grown in popularity. Uh, we've been putting one out every other Wednesday. But now, uh, after consulting our very talented uh, team member, Caden Rince team member, Ryan Heyman, who you've heard on this show before as well, uh, we are going to go weekly with Sound of Play. So each Wednesday... Uh, we'll bring you another set of tracks and uh, we're going to keep mixing the format up. Sometimes it'll be uh, members of the team. Sometimes it'll be guests from the community. Sometimes it'll be composers. Uh, and occasionally we might slip in the odd themed special. So listen out for those in the future. We're planning a Zelda one at the moment to tie in with our Zelda series of video games uh, podcasts on the Kane and Rince uh, show. And I think we're planning that for number 50. So that's a way away yet. But uh, but that should be very good indeed. And uh, and obviously one of the things about uh, doing a fortnightly show is we didn't necessarily want to do uh, themed specials. And then if somebody wasn't into that particular style of music or, or genre or whatever, then it would be another two weeks till we had a new show. But this way, uh, if there's one that we put out that isn't to your liking, it'll only be another few days until something different comes along. So, yeah, we hope you enjoy. Next up, we have something from the 16-bit era, and this is requested by Adman. He says, very few people seem to remember. Now, I've always said Gynaug, but uh, looking at the pronunciation on Wikipedia, it seems that maybe I should have been saying Ginog all these years, which possibly makes more sense. Anyway, Ginog, Gynaug, also known as Wings of War, in the US, war with an O. Uh, anyway, Adman says, yes. Playing this game back in 1991, as an impressionable youngster, I was immediately captivated by the abject horror that it showcased. Hideous human faces stretched across the front of trains, giant cyborgs that threw a still-beating heart at you, crustaceans that literally turned themselves inside out just to kill you. It was all horrifically brilliant. The game got darker and more twisted as it went on, but the relative niceness of the first level stood in stark contrast to the later levels. The music for the first level perfectly captures this contrast, with an almost joyful yet heroic melody that wouldn't sound out of place in a cutesy platformer starring an anthropomorphic animal of some kind. Almost immediately after the mid-level level boss is defeated, the soundtrack changes to something more subdued, but I always appreciated the way the game deceived you in these opening moments through its music.
So Ginnock or Wings of War, if you are a Genesis player, uh, is from the studio Messiah. We talked about one of their games before, at least on Sound of Play. That was uh, Cybernator. That's its Western name. It's, of course, Assault Suits Vulcan or Valken, maybe. Uh, from, yes, that stable who made uh, Hellfire uh, for Toa Plan. Amazing shoot 'em up. I love that one. Horizontal scroller and things like uh, Glay Lancer as well. Um, now, the composer for that is Noriyuki Iwadare, who we definitely have featured. Uh, he has a fantastic CV of classic video game music. He's still working on the Ace Attorney games now. He's currently, or possibly completed, I don't know, working on the uh, recent Ace Attorney, the sixth, currently known as Ace Attorney 6. I don't know if that's going to be its final title, uh, but he's worked on a lot of the, uh, yeah, the Gakuten, Saiban games. Um, but also Grandia, Grandia 2, uh, some of the Mega Man X games, uh, Langrisses, and uh, Steel Empire, and Parasol Stars as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, a composer of some note. That's from 1991. Something else connected with Sega, and more so even than the last track, which appeared on a Sega console, but this is from a Sega studio very famously. So Wishy Washy requests this romantic piece from Shenmue. Wishy Washy says this track played during the various interactions between these two characters, Nozomi and Ryo. Interaction is stretching it a bit though, since Ryo just turned into a plank of wood every time Nozomi was around. Bad writing, acting, or was the teenage Ryo just nervous around girls? Hmm. As with most dialogue in the game and of the era, the script and performance of the romantic scenes was a little stilted, but nowhere near Revenge of the Sith Padme Anakin bad. I still think Ryo and Nozomi had the makings of one of gaming's great couples, up there with Cloud and Tifa. I'm hoping Yu Suzuki can write Nozomi back into Shenmue 3 and allow Ryo to express, well, any emotion at all. During the game at the dockside, I gave Nozomi the photo of her and Ryo stood close together. Let's see if that pays off in the third game.
So a number of composers worked on the Shenmue games, um, but the most prevalent was Takanobu Mitsuyoshi. Uh, Yuzo Koshiro also con- contributed a number of tracks as well as a couple of other composers, but uh, we'll assume, if anyone knows differently, that that's a Mitsuyoshi piece uh, from, of course, Shenmue, the 1999-2000, in, certainly in Europe. On the Dreamcast, we covered both Shenmue games uh, so far uh, on Kane and Rince Podcasts uh, issues 62 and 65. And uh, it was an interesting experience going back. I'd kept those games since they came out. I'd bought them at launch, both of them, but never got round to fully playing them through. Played them through in 2000 and whatever year we did that, 2013 maybe, I'm guessing off the top of my head. And found that uh, they weren't so much fun to play for me at that stage. But I still thoroughly uh, love the atmosphere they conjure and the, the sheer level of ambition um, shown by Yu Suzuki and his AM2 team. No words go with this next one, but uh, we're upping the tempo a bit. It's uh, it's another futurist uh, electronica type piece from uh, a German composer, I believe, called Martin Schola. And this is from the recent uh, Wii U, currently Wii U exclusive downloadable title, Fast Racing Neo. And this is uh, Hibashira Speedway.
you enjoyed that Hibashira Speedway. That was requested by our Forumite Scrussel. And uh, yes, Fast Racing Neo, it's on the big list. I don't know whether we'll ever get around to covering it. Future races, uh, there's a lot of them these days, as well as all the obvious series, F-Zero and Wipeout. You've also got to think about uh, Extreme G and uh, Quantum Redshift and goodness knows what else. Um, it's certainly not a show we could, uh, we, a genre we could all cram all into one show. It would need to be a series of podcasts or a uh, or, or divided them up into into their actual, uh, you know, IPs and franchises. But um, I'm a fan of the Future Racer generally. They tend to be hard, though, don't they? What's that? Why do they tend to be... So, I guess is, is it just because they're so fast and they need to be extreme, but generally Wipeout games and F-Zero games are, are on the difficult side of things. No wonder. Haven't played Fast Racing Neo. Would like to. It's on my wanted list. Something more obscure... We're heading off back to Japan, and this uh, originates about a decade ago, slightly more, on the Windows PC. Uh, there was a port to the PSP, which came out between 2010 2012, depending on your region. And the game in question is Is, Is, Oath in Felgana. Uh, this is requested by Ben Blaster who says, for what is quite a simple track, this plays a vital part in what, in my opinion, is one of the tightest and well-crafted hack-and-slash games available. If you weren't already familiar with the East series before starting this game, you'd be quickly deceived by the opening 30 minutes into thinking East may be yet another epic and weighty JRPG. But moments into your first engagement with a pack of wild wolves, this track strikes up and sets the tempo for the rest of the game. The E-Series is a fast, furious and often at times frustrating experience, a non-stop adrenaline rush filled with nail-biting, only just made it moments, and I think this track represents that best of all.
So the track is Dark Beasts as Black as the Night. And the composer is a new one to sound of play, Mieko Ishikawa. And her CV goes all the way back to 1987 um, with some early East music, I think. Uh, and she, looking at her CV, she's had stuff published as recently as 2012. Um but I must admit, I'm largely unfamiliar with her work. I'm also largely unfamiliar with the East series. It's something that we've had requested for the main Kane and Rince podcast, but unfortunately I don't think we have a single East player among the team. And I wouldn't want to do a series like that justice by just diving straight in with all of us having never engaged with this series before. It's a tricky thing to uh, to sort of square off in terms of you know we'd like to cover these things that we don't necessarily know much about but equally we don't want to make a ham-fisted attempt at trying to understand what the fans like about them coming to them out of time and and whatever else so we think about this stuff a lot we really do um and you know you never know what might happen uh if somebody joins the team who's a big east fan it could tip tip the weight in favor of doing s- at least one east game or some some of the series now, I mentioned Yuzo Koshiro earlier, and of course the Sega Master System uh, version of Sonic the Hedgehog, which I know some fans absolutely swear by, and I can understand that because the uh, the 8-bit version was developed by Team Ancient, which is the, uh, the team behind uh, Legend of Oasis, Story of Thor, uh, and Streets of Rage, of course, and uh, the composer is a member of the Koshiro family. Uh, who work on, uh, who I think basically Team Ancient is a kind of Koshiro family thing and Yuzo Koshiro is uh, the rather talented musician. Uh, so this is specifically from the PAL Master System version of uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, The Jungle Zone. Now this was from the day when sometimes games not only not optimised for PAL but the music tempo wouldn't even be corrected. So to... Uh, NTSC gamers in America and Japan, the audio to our games would sound like it was slow and uh, plodding. But to those who grew up on the PAL versions, hearing the NTSC versions at 17% faster or thereabouts, it sounded like they were being played on helium, you know, like somebody on uh, up on, yeah, on uppers, as it, as it were, on their uppers? No, on uppers. Um but I think this request comes from the EU and I noticed that this had been specifically posted on YouTube as uh, as a Powell speed track. Anyway, this comes from Edo Potato and uh, Edo says, you mentioned on a recent show that you'd never before featured any tunes from the Master System. Uh, we have now, but at that point that was the case. So it's safe to say that you haven't included one of my faves from the 8-bit era, the Jungle Zone music from Sonic on the Master System. Lovely, bouncy, summery little tune that I recall attempting to learn to play on my sister's Yamaha keyboard, and I still find myself whistling on occasion 25-odd years later. If memory serves, the Jungle Zone was a pig, so I probably spent a lot of time listening to this tune back in the day, but it still holds up.
then by Yuzo Koshiro. Always a treat to have some 8-bit music and some Yuzo Koshiro. Boxes ticked. Now this is a, a really interesting pick. Uh, again, one of those games that I, I knew existed. I remember seeing it on the shelves. I never got around to playing. Um, didn't necessarily appeal. This is uh, a game nominally or seemingly at least part of the sort of the fairly limited, not limited, that maybe that's not the word, but um, rarely added to niche subgenre of ocean explorers. I'm thinking of games like Endless Ocean and um, probably the Dreamcast Echo the Dolphin game, maybe that counts. Um, and there are a few, and obviously, you know, plenty of games take you down under the water into shipwrecks. Thinking of uh, I think Tomb Raider. Uh, Underworld and Super Mario 64 but this game was from Black Ops Entertainment the studio uh, who went on to make things like uh, Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough um, Black Ops Entertainment but this is Treasures of the Deep released by Namco back in 1997 on the PS1 and uh, here comes a nice little story from a new contributor Good Shot Jansen Good Shot Jansen that's how it's got it Gotta say it like that. Anyway, Jansen says, May I call you good shot? My dear sweet grandmother purchased a PlayStation for my 11th birthday and catalyzed in my in earnest my addiction to the medium. The jovial pusher of digital narcotics supplied me with several games like the Need for Speed and Crash Bandicoot, games that were innocent and colourful. Games without violence. Among these early discs was the rather unassuming looking Treasures of the Deep. Kind old Gran almost certainly assumed this to be a peaceful game of adventure and treasure hunting among the hulks of ancient vessels laden with gold and silver. A Jacques Cousteau simulator. My grandmother was right about there being treasure, but it's safe to assume her ignorance when it came to main character Jack Runyon's proclivity for murder. You kill a lot in Treasures of the Deep. Both human and animal fall victim to your merciless harpoon gun, torpedoes and sea mines. Sure, you can capture animals for research, sparing their lives and netting you some cash, but this was rarely the case in my game. Likewise, there was an endangered species list of sorts and slaughtering a blue whale imposed a hefty fine, but we did it. We all did it. Because we could. Later in the game, a sonar upgrade allowed the sub to lock onto turtles, sharks, humans and other non-mechanical en enemies with hilarious results. Once you get past finding creative ways to empty the ocean of life, you're left with a surprisingly solid game. The controls are tight and navigating in a 3D underwater landscape is intuitive. Enemy variety is good and attention to detail is unparalleled in a game of this era. It's obvious that much research went into creating the environments and life forms. The story is compelling and the villain gives Blofeld a run for his money. Finally, there's the soundtrack. It was hard to choose one piece from this excellent composition. Every track perfectly reflects the level it accompanies. There is one song that stands out above the rest and is the one that my grandmother would likely expect to accompany the game she perceived she had, put, she had purchased. This is Wreck of the Conception by Tommy Tallarico.
So I think that's the first time we featured Tommy Tallarico on Sound of Play, which I think off the top of my head, and that feels like an oversight uh, when we consider that he's the composer of the Earthworm Jim series, as well as MDK, Wild Nine, Cool Spot, uh, Robocop versus the Terminator, and so on. At least one version of Prince of Persia as well. Um, but yeah, that's a really interesting piece from an interesting game. And uh, yeah, great pick. Come back to the forum, Goodshot Jansen, and choose some more. Tell us more stories of your gaming days. We like all that. Anything that adds a bit of colour? A bit of humanity. <laughs> Track eight. Here we are, penultimate. And another funky one from a perhaps not forgotten, but uh, not often talked about PC game from the 90s, Interstate 76. Uh, it got a sequel. It got a spiritual successor in the form of Vigilante 8. Um, it's a game we've occasionally had requested to be covered on the main Kane Rins podcast. Uh, I'm not sure if we have any uh, fans on the team, but having listened to this track, I can certainly consider myself uh, a fan of the soundtrack. Yeah, at least this one. Uh, Maxstat requests this, and he says... I think he's a he. Today I was cleaning my house a little bit and found my Interstate 76 CD. I can't believe I forgot about that. The Interstate 76 OST is very special to me. In 1997, a lot of PC games still used MIDI synthesizer music, so at least in my memory, Interstate 76 was one of the first games that showed me how rich game music can be. Also, this game was a really lonely experience. For hours, it was just you, desert, occasional poem on the CB radio, radio and yes, your trusty cassette player. I assume that's what we had in the 70s. Probably an, possibly an 8-track, actually. That made music so much more of an important part of the game. So this is from Arian Salazar, who is uh, the former bassist from 90s American rock band Third Eye Blind with Never Get Out the Car. Never Get Out of the Car. <laughs> Here it is.
So that's Arian Salazar, presumably no relation to the uh, diminutive despot of uh, Resident Evil 4 fame. And never get out of the car. Outer. It doesn't sound right me saying that in my uh, semi-middle class southeast English accent. Never get out of the car. <laughs> I give up. Remember, please venture over to our forum at canarince.com or Twitter at canarince or the Facebook page facebook.com slash where you can request your favourites or other curios and nuggets of interest and we'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for each regular Sound of Play podcast. That is, except when we have a special guest on who gets to pick all the tracks, a composer, or we do a theme show. But even then, theme shows may include your requests if relevant. We'll see. Please do remember to subscribe to Sound of Play and leave us an iTunes review or rating or a review or rating on whatever other platform you get your podcast from. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening and all our community contributors. As always, without you, the show is just us picking our favourites or not even bothering anymore. So keep them coming, please. Uh, especially now that the show is going weekly, we're going to need, well, twice as many possibly. So do keep them coming in. Uh, as this show has demonstrated with picks from things like Treasures of the Deep and Interstate 76, there's some amazing, brilliant tracks from games that, you know, may not always pop up in, you know, best soundtrack of all time type listicles or, or whatever, but there's loads of fantastic game music out there that was composed with all the same, you know, level of attention and love that the famous soundtracks have, but perhaps they were in games which didn't, you know, capture the 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 same review scores or, or public imagination in the same way. But the music shouldn't be forgotten because uh, it exists and it's art and we want to share it and love it. I'll be back for Sound of Play 42, and that's going to be a good one with special guest uh, Jasper Byrne, the uh, multi-talented creator of Lone Survivor, the game and all its music, as well as the music for various other games. He'll be sharing some of his favourites uh, from other composers and of his own works with us. Uh, but next time in Sound of Play 41, uh, Ryan will be your host, joined by James and Carl from Kane and Rince. So the final track for this Sound of Play... Uh, requested by Hands in the Jam via Twitter, uh, is a... Actually, it's a traditional song. Yeah, so O-Death, or O-Death, or Conversations with Death, as it's sometimes known, is a trad American folk song. Um, the first version of this I was familiar with was in the early 90s, and it was included on the fantastic album Our Beloved Revolutionary Sweetheart by Camper Van Beethoven, one of my all-time favourites, uh, both record and band. And then I heard it again on the soundtrack, and perhaps this is where it will be best known from the uh, the hugely successful, multi-award winning, multi-million selling Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Uh, and this version crops up at the end of uh, the recent Supermassive Games game, Until Dawn, the sort of QTE-driven um, adventure of choices and reactions um, that's in the style of a sort of Cabin in the Woods type horror film. Uh, I played through this late last year or early this year, and I had a good time with it on, on, on the whole. It's got a, it's got a somewhat recognisable cast. You've got uh, her, Hayden Panettiere from The Cheerleader from Heroes. You've got uh, the chap from Mr. Robot, um, although I think he's probably better in Mr. Robot than he is in Until Dawn, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, so it's a PS4 exclusive. Um, it's I notice it's got a lot cheaper. It wouldn't surprise me if it crops up as a PS Plus game at some point. Maybe, I don't know. That's pure speculation. Anyway, this version of Odeth is by Amy Van Ruckel, a female soprano. Um, I assume also the um, the music is handled by the composer of the music in the game. I'm stalling because I can't remember who that is. Jason Graves, of course, is who I believe we've featured on this podcast before. Anyway, I'll leave you with this uh, philosophical and uh, moody number. Oh, death from Until Dawn by Amy Van Ruckel. And we'll see you in Sound of Play 41 in a week. <laughs>